Welcome to the Self-Helpful Podcast. I'm Kevin Miller, and this is the podcast people tune into for in-depth discussions on the latest research from our foremost leaders in self-improvement, so you can be growing and more equipped to live at your fullest capacity in body, mind, and soul. When we look at jobs and businesses, our natural inclination is to look to something we've learned to do that people will pay us for. And generally, it's something we've done enough to get good at, and we work to get better and hope to make more. What we're significantly missing in the culture is the most important thing for our ultimate success potential, doing something we enjoy enough, have a knack for, to gain a level of mastery and sustainability with. We've got a majority of people in the workplace and business world engaged in things they have gotten good at and may find satisfaction in, but it's activities that ultimately drain them. Not many people, not nearly enough, spend a majority of their time doing the things that they, again, have a talent, a skill in, and really find joy and get energy from. Uh, It could be hard work. Usually it's going to be hard work, but it's inspiring work. This is part three of my series on business management guru Patrick Lencioni and his new book, The Six Types of Working Genius. You can get the book anywhere, but you can take an assessment right now at workinggenius.com. It's only 25 bucks. It gives you six types of working genius and showcases the two areas of your working genius. And that's what we're looking at and talking about. That's the great stuff. It also then gives you two areas of your working competency, and that's where we're seeing so many people are working right there and something they're good at, but it's not their genius. And then two areas of working frustration, where you'll see why certain tasks and roles just totally drain and frustrate you. So in this episode, I'm with my co-host, Tom Ziegler, who's CEO of Ziegler and son of Zig Ziegler, to discuss this further, just how it plays out in our lives and in the real world. And we both share our assessments, and I share one from my oldest son that showcases why I so often missed giving him what he needed from me as a father. So I think you parents will be interested in this as well. If you find value from this self-helpful podcast, you can uh, subscribe, leave a rating and review would be great. Best thing you can do is just talk about the concepts with someone else. It'll help you learn more and it'll benefit them. I, you can always connect with me at kevinmiller.co social media or my website. Well, next up, Tom Ziegler and I discuss this issue of working at what you're good at versus working at where you truly have genius. I'm a foodie and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances of what creates the most significant tastes from coffee to cheese to distilled beverages. I did a tequila tasting in Mexico and recently bourbon. Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon really impressed me from the story to the taste. I grew up in Kentucky where horse racing and bourbon are famous. And I got introduced to Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon. It's produced by Heaven Hill distillery, which has been and still remains family owned since 1935. And I'm impressed with the bourbon's ultra rich, smooth taste. And right on the bottle, it states that this bourbon is seven years old, which is actually three times longer than what's required to be certified as bottled in bond. I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. Being a bottled-in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. Tom, you know Patrick Lencioni. You know his work. As you said, you're a fan. Uh, This is just more of his brilliant work, but man, you've done a lot of profiles, assessments. I mean, you're not new to this. I'd say you're an expert in this, in this game. Uh, and there's overlap I find in all of them, but man, I like this one and, and just curious. I mean, you listened to the pod, the show I did with him. Uh, you did the, took the assessment yourself, which we're going to talk about here in a second. What were some of your first, what were some new things that you heard in that or realized from it? Just the um, the wisdom of, and this was a connection from years ago, of there are things that you might be pretty good at that you don't really enjoy, mm-hmm. and that'll burn you out. And there are things that you're not inclined to and you're not good at that'll really frustrate you, 
And there's no shame or guilt in that. It's it's just the way you're wired. And the connection was years ago when Alexandra, my daughter, was uh, it was the summer after her junior year. So the summer before her senior year of college, we went up to Chicago and she took a battery of these types of tests. And then the next day she um, she went and sat with the, uh, the psycholo- psychologist who gave her a profile of, hey, this is what you should look for when you go to college. And you know, we're, instead of having 360 degree view of the world, if I could study anything based on how I'm made, what should I look to do? And all of that stuff uh, that took the better part of two days was was kind of like summarized in a 15 minute <laughs> or took me about 10 minutes uh, results of that assessment. And the number one takeaway I had from that experience with Alexandra is the the psychologist said, look, you might want to look in these areas because you have a propensity to those, but I want you to write down both in college and when you start working the things that you don't like because the things that you don't like are actually probably as important, maybe even more important than the things you do like as far as to having uh, satisfaction and enjoyment even in what you do and the way you go. And so this was just uh, so much more concise and succinct. It was that kind of messaging, right? And, and you know, we all, all know the personality styles and, and we get real excited about DISC and we say, hey, I'm, a, I'm an S or I'm an I or I'm a D. Uh, and then I love the five love languages, and the focus of that book is to to really understand how, how other people uh, behave, so you can communicate to them in the way they enjoy. Uh, but this one kind of took it up a notch and said, "Wait a second, you should celebrate what you're, you know, who you are, and not feel shame or guilt for who you're not, right?" And then I tied that back to when you study leadership, and that's my main focus these days. When you look at the greatest leaders of all time, they come from all different personality types, mm-hmm. but they have one thing in common, and that is they know their blind spot, what they're not good at, and then they bring people around them who are fantastic in that blind spot and let them do their job. And and so this is a great tool for for that. So that was kind of my initial takeaways. Well, I'm, I appreciate the testimony on Alexandra, you know, you made me think of, again, what we talked about with Patrick and I wanted to continue the discussion. Now it is so you're right. I think where I get mixed up because we got these three areas. So six types of working genius and he shows you your working genius, which I'm going to say, those are the areas that, that, that you're, you you're good in. you, you have a, a, innate ability, talent, gifting, whatever you want to call it. And you get inspiration, you get energy from it. Then there's the working competency. And those are the things that you can do well, but you probably don't get as much energy. You may or may not like them to whatever degree, but it's not as as energetic. It's going to wear you out some. And then the working frustration at the end, the things that you, you really don't like, and you may not be that good at as well, probably not as well. And that middle one though, the working competency is the one that I think we get stumbled up in myself included, because you're good at it. You can do it. You can step up. And, and I think that I've spent time in that area. I've had times where I spent way too much time in that area. And it was just so difficult to reconcile in my lack of awareness because I was good. And just like where we have ourselves or a kid or whatever and see somebody and see they're good. You think, Oh my gosh, you've got to, you know, kind of the biblical thing, multiply those talents. Yeah. But if it's draining you and even there, it's not to say that you shouldn't do it. And it was interesting, Tom, was you talking about leaders and you mentioned, well, I think it was you and I just talking offline a minute ago. I think you mentioned Martin Luther King and I look at leaders and look at the people that we know that are, and let's go ahead and put them on stage and say that they're out there and they're moving and influencing people and leading people and, and doing what, I mean, there are some who do that and it gives them energy. 
And I know that there are some that do that and it wears them out. Doesn't mean that they shouldn't do that, but even just to be aware of, man, this is what I'm doing and to do it, to do this thing that I'm passionate about or burdened about or, or feel, uh, led to do driven to do, I'm going to get out and I'm going to do X, Y, Z. I'm going to get on the stage or I'm going to lead people. I'm going to do that. But for one, it may inspire them, energize them for another. It's going to drain them. And at least they can know that and go, okay, if I'm going to step into that role, I got X amount of time. And then I'm going to have to go recharge and do that. It's going to have somewhere on me. And I think just that awareness, it's not just a total, Hey, if it's, unless it's perfectly in my working genius, I'm not going to do it. But just to know that, because as I looked and talked through with Patrick, I, I, there's things in my working competency I, I need to do. I'm good at them. I can, I can achieve that, but I'm probably going to limit them a little bit or realize, man, if I spend a day doing that, if I'm going to be at my best, I need to recharge by X and then knowing what that is, which, which wasn't actually a part of, uh, of the assessment. At least he, he, I think he touches on it some in the book, but it wasn't as far as how to recharge, but initially, yeah, just that awareness. Cause when you looked at it, Tom, did you look at, and I've got yours up here, you're working competencies. Let's go ahead and just focus there. Enablement and discernment. So enablement, you are capable of and don't mind providing others with encouragement and assistance for projects and tasks. So you've got a team, you've always had a team, people working with you there at Ziegler and stuff. You're capable of doing that, encouraging uh, and assisting in projects and tasks. You are, and then discernment, you're capable of and don't mind using your intuition and instincts to evaluate and assess ideas and plans. You're a business owner, you've got to do that. So you can do those things, you have competency, it's not what, it's not what makes your heart sing. Fair. Is that, did that line up? Yeah, hundred percent. And if it's uh, a little bit outside of my strength zone, which, which I would clarify for me is either a gift or a talent, or I've had a lot of experience in it, then my, I get really frustrated with discernment. Um, I'd rather somebody else who's gifted in that give me some insight into it. Yeah. Uh, because I've had such a broad background of experience as a lot of people will ask for my opinion and discernment on things. And if it's within my strength zone, <laughs> what I've done in the past, I'm happy to provide it. But once it starts getting a little bit outside of that zone, it, e even though they really respect what I tell them, it really drains me. I have to put a lot of brain power into that uh, to do it. And, and, you know, this, it's interesting. Yeah. Encouragement and assistance, uh, because of how we've organized our business, I do a lot of that. Uh, but I, I noticed that if I have like a full day of work and that's the majority of the day where, man, I got to go recharge. Yeah. Um, right. I mean, it's, and, and I really like giving encouragement. Uh, I like seeing, I get excited and celebrate when people win. Uh, but it's like my motor, it's like, I have to force it into that gear. <laughs> that Tom, that's what I was going to ask. Um, as opposed yeah. to like, so, and, and I skipped over working genius. We'll come back to it. So if we look at working genius and, and wonder and invention, we'll talk about that again in a second. Those are what I, I know you and that's where, Ooh, that's what hits you. That's what hits you and, and energizes you. Is it fair then to say that when we're talking about these competency areas, which for you are enablement and discernment, but let's say encouragement and assistant and assistance to others, that it's not a natural inclination. It's a learned one. So you intentionally step into that. You don't hate it. You can do it well, but it's not an, it's a, it's a learned aware act to action. Yeah. And I have a family of encouragers. I mean, that was dad's gift, right? You know, that encouragement of others was just kind of his nature, you know, and his style and, uh, you know, in galvanizing and, you know, really helping people to just expand and grow and do more than they thought they could because he would transfer his confidence and his belief to them to such an extent that people would do it. So that's how I was raised. And so, you know, I thought, well, that's naturally, that's how, that's how you communicate with people. That's how you, uh, that's just the way life is. Uh, but it was never, it's never been as like naturally free flowing as it was for dad. It's like the first thing, you know, it's like people always need hope and encouragement. Those were his two bylines, right? Those were the words. And, and so he's centered around that. Uh, 
and but for for me, I know that, uh, but it's a little bit of a stretch sometimes for me to really go into that because yeah, underneath it, while I'm talking the encouragement, I'm looking at them going. So I wonder why they're feeling that way because it doesn't make any sense that they should feel that You're way. Falling into your working genius. Well, it's interesting that you have your working frustration, which folks, again, we're talking about this. Well, I'll, I'll have put this in the intro when, when I publish or when we produce this, but you need to listen to part one with Patrick Lencioni or go do the assessment, which is workinggenius.com uh, or get And it's 25 bucks. Um, or get his book, The Six Types of Working Genius. It's selling like crazy right now on well, Amazon or, or, or wherever. But your working frustration is galvanizing and tenacity. So galvanizing is rallying people and inspiring them to take action around ideas, projects, or, or tasks. Tenacity is seeing something through. So I'm going to pick on you since we're doing this. It's interesting. So to think of you at an event. So I was at the Ziegler Legacy Certification event at one point, and I'm thinking back to it now and thinking, I don't recall that you were the guy up there in front of the room galvanizing people, kind of rallying them together. You came in and taught your part, and you actually had other people, part of the team, Ziegler family, that did the galvanizing. Is that, is that true? Did I, yeah, did I remember that correctly? Yeah, for sure. And then tenacity is interesting too, and I'm, I'm going to throw some names out there because I know two you've partnered with a lot of people and maybe you'll pull somebody else in that I'm not thinking about, but I know two guys that you have partnered with at Ziegler. Well, uh, three Howard Partridge, uh, Mark Tim and Kevin Harrington, the shark tank, uh, guy, uh, inventor of the infomercial actually. But those are, those are some, I know you've done a lot. Um, but are some of those guys, I was going to, I was really thinking of Howard initially, are they on the tenacity side? They're finishers. Yeah. Howard definitely is. Okay. Uh, he's a systems guy and it's funny cause I was thinking about this and if I had, um, if I had 10 projects and each one of them took eight hours to do, I might work on all 10 of them at the same time mm-hmm. and get all of them within an hour of completion and then go to the next one, you know, because mm-hmm. <laughs> why? Because <laughs> the fun's gone, right? I, it, it is, Tom. I, I'm there right now. So after all this time, I'm a year overdue on my book. And now it's pretty much there. They have the date set. I just have to do a few things. Oh my gosh, I don't want to. There's so many exciting things that I can work on uh, right now that I can create and go back to wonder. So again, it's good to know. It doesn't mean you get out of them all, but just to know uh, the things that, well, like galvanizing. So for me, that's in my working competency. I can do it. I don't hate it, uh, but it's, I'd rather, I'd rather not. I wouldn't do it if I didn't have to, but I mean, gosh, even as a dad of a lot of kids, at some point you got to galvanize. And so I'm pretty good at figuring out how to inspire them and get them to move in a certain direction if I need to. But yeah, it's not where I need to be spending a lot of time. And when I have in the past, it has, it, it, it has burnt me out. Tenacity at this point, Tom, I've just figured out I have to get a partner to do it. I do need a publisher. I do need an editor. I do need a podcast producer. I need a team uh, to do that. Otherwise, I'll never finish anything, which is like my house that we built 13 years ago. And if you come in, there's still not things finished. And yet you'll find a lot of new projects. <laughs> uh, man, I just, I don't want to finish the the trim or the whatever. I want to go build a new deck or a room, or I was talking with one kid yesterday about building onto the house. Like we need to, I don't know why, but it's just fun to do. So again, understanding those areas, I just, yeah, I I feel like it's really helping me focus on how to budget my time. But I guess Tom, I'm thinking budget my energy as well. And just be aware that if I'm going to step in there, Actually, I hadn't thought about it this way, but there's going to be a cost. It's kind of like what, back to what you said, right? You're going to have to recharge. Thankfully, the days of building a business website, then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone. Today, Shopify has fixed all that. I had one business where we actually built the entire website on Shopify's platform. So whether you're just starting out or you're selling a million bucks of product already, Shopify is just the industry leader. It works the same for physical products or online and digital, and Shopify is just hands down the best out there. Most importantly, Shopify helps you turn browsers 
and buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. It's 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Getting people to buy is not that hard, at least to the buying point, but getting them to actually give their payment info is, and Shopify is king in that department. They also have top tier customer service, which I think is critical. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Kevin. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Kevin to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Kevin. Most of today, you will be indoors, likely your home or your office. I am as well. Even with my treks out into the woods, I spend a lot of time inside. And we're going to take about 20,000 breaths. According to the EPA, the indoor air is two to five times more polluted than the outdoor air, sometimes up to a hundred times more polluted. At my studio, we have heat being forced through old ducts. I walk on carpet full of years of junk. No idea what's floating in the air that I'm taking constant gulps of. The solution is an air purifier and Air Doctor is just the best. Air Doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants and allergens such as pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold, bacteria, viruses. They do it so your lungs don't have to. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Go to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code KEVIN, and depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to 300 bucks off. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. So to get this special offer, go to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com Use promo code Kevin, airdoctorpro.com, promo code Kevin. You know, uh, when I was listening to the episode, your conversation with Patrick, um, so I sent my manuscript of the book off and they're like, yeah, you didn't finish this chapter and you didn't connect these two sections. Yeah. It's like. I don't even see it. That's not how my brain works, which is why it's amazing to get an editor, somebody who does that and find and finds joy in it. I, I talked to somebody, gosh, it was this morning or yesterday that was talking about book writing. And they said, I could edit all day long. Go, oh my gosh, I can't fathom that. And it makes you think of all the roles that you've seen. I remember being in the hospital with my oldest son and seeing the pediatric nurses. Oh my gosh. I would rather die than do that role. And thank God that God makes people who have, of course, I'm thinking a willingness, but they they actually have a desire to do that. It's a life-giving role for them. And I I can't fathom that. So these types of assessments give me so much gratitude, appreciation for how we are made different because it's so, it's so needed. So you and I in the working genius, and I didn't, I didn't start off saying this. We both have, you have invention and wonder. And I had wonder and invention. So, you know, I guess one was a little, you know, just a tad different, but the wonder is what you were talking about of stepping back and questioning something or looking at something or having an kind of ideation of, man, I wonder if that could be better or how we could change that. And then invention is actually coming up with an idea And you and I would love to just do that all day. Let's just do that all day and then have people come in and help figure out how to make that, how to do that, which is more and more, honestly, is what I'm doing as much as I can stay in there and get a team. And honestly, Tom, gosh, I'll throw this at you because I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, uh, pun intended. I wonder if that is more indicative of the artist which I had not thought I I have been, I I was working on bio stuff and I've instigated or or, I'm sorry, initiated, started uh, 19 different businesses. So 19 startups. Um, And so I'm the serial entrepreneur, right? And I am not a good businessman. I'm not good at it. I don't enjoy that. You've talked about that in aspects of business that you've gotten help with there that back here, if, if invention and wonder, that's more of an artist role. And I'm looking at that and going, how can I just embrace that more? Even though I may, use business as the vehicle to deliver the art, which Seth Godin would tell us you got to deliver it. It's really the art part of it. The, 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 yeah, the creation of something, then you need help actually delivering it. 
bringing it to market, selling it and, and yada, yada. Uh, and again, it was, it was helpful to understand that. And I think for people to do this assessment, have this kind of clarity, and this isn't just about selling the assessment, but to do that is the look and going, okay, how can I embrace what I obviously really am at heart? And it may take a different perspective, a different struck, a different container than what you thought of. So I'm not as much businessman as I am artist. Okay. That's a big change in perspective. What do you think? Yeah. You know, when I think of artists, I like another word, which is creative Mm -hmm. and there's different types of creativity. Uh, Writing is one of those, you know, philosophy is very creative and how you put things together. Um, So, you know, I could look at it myself and go, wow, you know, that's kind of more artistic than it is, you know, foundational. Uh, But if you ask me to write or uh, draw a picture or paint something, it's, (laughs) it's not. And so there's, you know, so it's more of that creative type. True. I also also took uh, a number of years ago, I took the strength finders uh, from Gallup. Uh, I believe it's from Gallup or it, it or, is now. I mean, Tom Rath is credited with that. And you and I had Tom on the show probably five or six yeah. years ago, but yeah. Yeah. And you know, that one really honed similar in, in some ways to this, it really honed in on, Hey, uh, let's focus on what you're really good at. And the example that was given to me was, you know, you can look at, uh, let's just look at, Dak Prescott, who's the the cowboy Dallas Cowboy quarterback, you know he's never going to be practicing kicking field goals in practice. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, you know because that's just that's not a skill set, and nobody condemns him because he can't kick a field goal. Right? They celebrate what he's really good at, which is you know the quarterback position, and so. And when so when the more information you get like this that allows your your uh, your internal belief and self image to adjust, right? Wait a second. I don't need to feel bad about that. Wait a second. I need to do more of that. That's really, really positive. And and I've been studying a little bit and, and pondering my uh my wander has been uh looking at this aspect and that is what's the difference between um self-esteem and self-respect okay tell me okay so in our culture you know the self-esteem movement was hey we can't hurt our kids self-esteem everybody gets a a trophy everybody gets a a gold star participation award yes yeah exactly and and so it's all it's all about self-esteem and I think it was, I was listening to something. I think it was Jordan Peterson. And he said, he said, Oh, self self-esteem is an abused word. It doesn't really mean anything anymore. He said, he said, don't focus on, and I'm, I could be paraphrasing him wrong, but I believe he said, don't focus on building self-esteem instead focus on building self-respect, hmm. do the little things that are going to get results. And when you start having your competence go up, then your self-respect goes up. When competence and self-respect go up, then your self-esteem is going to follow. Right. And, and so it's really interesting. And so when you look at uh, the six types of working genius, when you start to look at that and you go, Oh, well, (laughs) I need to really up my competency and the things that I'm gifted in. What's that going to do? it's going to start building your self-respect. And then Mm -hmm. when you can look at it and go, Hey, well, it's, of course I'm not good at that. I'm not wired that way. Then that doesn't hit your self-respect or your self-esteem negatively. Right. Uh, Because kids are taught, Hey, I should get a gold star. or I'm not going to try. And, but they, but people don't discern, uh, they they think if they're it's since it's a it's since we live in a culture of conditionality you, how my respect and my love is conditional on how well you do at something uh, we all naturally tend to focus on the things we're not good at yeah right let's go fix the thing I'm not good at no 
we, we need to make sure that there's not a gap or a hole or a vulnerability. You have to get good enough at some at that area so you so it doesn't limit you later on, or you find other people who can cover you in that area, which is ideal in the workplace. The other thing with Gallup, they they did this is years ago, but they did a study on who's most happy in their job, and it was somebody who moved into a, a position and they did all of their job requirements to the best of their ability with a, with a lot of enthusiasm and thoroughness. But then they had a leadership team around them who noticed what they were excellent in. And then they started giving them more responsibilities with the tasks and, and projects that amplified where they were excellent. And then they took away the things that they were good at or okay at uh, and gave them to somebody else who loved that. So when we talk about today and quiet quitting, man, what a what a lesson. You know, there's seven trillion dollars, according to a survey or a thing that Gallup put out this week. Seven trillion dollars annually lost in the business world because of disengaged people. Mm. Well, why are they disengaged? <laughs> it's because they're stuck in a frustrating position doing things that either burn their mouth or they're not good at it. Yeah. Right. So if we want to put 7 trillion back into the economy, then we got to get people engaged. And the way we get people engaged is giving them more and more of the things that they're good at. Well, let's, so let's bring that home acutely because I'm looking here at my assessment and it says my work, one of my working frustrations is, Enablement, which the, defi- the quick definition that Patrick gives is you aren't naturally gifted at and don't drive energy and joy from providing others with encouragement and assistance for projects and tasks. So if I'm in a workplace situation, they're not going to look to me for that. They're going to look for me to look for ideas, ideation, and, and, and a solution for that. That sounds great. Not so great. Well, it's more difficult to embrace that as a parent. And I'll be candid here. I had one of my kids and we were talking about this and we were using the word compassion. This is probably a year ago, maybe more, but I was talking with one of them talking about compassion. And I was just, it was an admission. I was talking with one kid, maybe two and talked about that. So guys, it's an area I struggle with. I struggle with having compassion for myself and I don't uh, naturally have it for others. Empathy does not come real strong, uh, for me. And one of them said, and they were being, you know, kind, but a little sarcastic. They said, yeah, dad, if, if we need some, you know, a shoulder to cry on, we're not coming to you. We're, we're going to mommy, but if we want something fixed and come up with an idea, a solution for something, we'll come to you. And I thought, okay, that, that sounds okay. It's a it's a little difficult for me to accept that. And in that context, I am striving to be, I want to be more compassionate. I want to decisively, it's not going to come naturally, but to be more empathetic, to provide encouragement. And I do make steps uh, to do that. I'm not going to make that my vocation. I'm not going to become a, a high school football coach and, you know, try to rally the, uh, the troops and give them encouragement. That's not what I'm good at. And we've talked about that in regards to coaching and consulting as a profession. I don't derive a lot of energy from coaching where you are more on an ongoing basis walking with someone. I like an initial consultation to audit a need and then find a solution for it. Man, I'm in my zone. It gives me energy. I love that. And then I'd like to put you with somebody to help walk that out, put that as a coach. But how interesting to know. And I'm going to take that a little bit. Well, actually, no. Any any thoughts on that, Tom? Because some of those in the workplace is okay to delineate there and say, okay, so Tom does this well, put him there. He doesn't do this well, but then at home, it's a little more sensitive issue. Yeah. And what you've got to, you know, when you, when you have this type of foundation and you're going to go have one of those conversations, knowing that, um, this is, this is where they're coming from. Yeah. It, it allows you to receive whatever they say without the sting, right? Mm-hmm. And the challenge is, is when our kids, until they reach a certain age, they just think we're being jerks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, or our wife. I mean, there's a consummate thing, you know. You, you talk, I mean, this, I know this is 
at, at this, these days and ages is gender stereotyping and whatnot. So uh, forgive me for, um, the issue, but we've historically looked at men and women and, you know, uh, the woman wants to talk about something and the guy wants to jump in and fix. And it's, I don't want to be fixed. Just listen. And it is somewhat of that. I want to jump in and fix. It's the first thing that I think of is, is fix. It's very natural to me as a, not even as a man, just as a human and to look at those, but okay. What I, that was my next go-to Tom. You just said to, this is where they're coming from. Cause I'm also thinking about the context of this assessment in understanding how we relate to people and who we relate to you and I, I've never gotten tired of talking with you, Tom. I've never gotten tired of talking with Randy, Dr. Randy James, my other co-host. He also, now I haven't had him take the test yet. I wish I had already or the assessment, but I bet he's going to be really high on both again, invention and wonder, especially wonder. And that's who I relate to somebody who is high in some of the other areas. I don't understand as readily. I don't connect with them as readily. And so again, I like this for the idea or the understanding of who I do and don't naturally connect with. Now, again, it's not to say that, so I'm not going to hang out. I'm only going to hang out with people like me. I need to hang out with some of the other people more probably and help me expand my perspective and understanding. And I do want to connect with them, but I thought it was interesting to look at relationally. And that's my lead in Tom. To another assessment I have in front of me. It is from my son. I got his permission to share this. So Caleb, who you know well. So this is my son, Caleb. He's my oldest son. Uh, and he is uh, his working. He, he is very opposite of me in a lot of ways. So his working genius is enablement and discernment. So again, I'm going to read it, folks, just so you know, enablement, that, that gift uh, and driving energy from enjoy from providing others with encouragement and assistance for projects and tasks. He can do that all day, come along and he supports people and he encourages him them. So in that way, kind of going back to the five love languages, right? That's what he understands. That's his language is providing others with encouragement and assistance for projects and tests. That's his, that's a primary, that's his number one language in this assessment. Guess who doesn't speak that language? His dad, me. <laughs> yeah, I don't. His next one is, uh, well, discernment. And I'm actually, I'm, I'm okay in that, but that's not where I go to first. So as soon as I th- start talking about an idea, he's going right to discernment and figuring out, does that work or not? I don't want to hear that yet, man. I'm, I'm ideating. You know, and he's right to discernment. So you can see there's, there's, there's a little disconnect in two people who don't naturally relate. And so as a dad, uh, I didn't do a good job of understanding this. I was ignorant of a lot of this as a, as a parent and with him, we used to realize that with, I would come up with something that I wanted done and I'm just, I don't know, go figure it out. And he wants the steps. Now, how do I, how do you want me to do it? How do you want it done? What's the correct way? I don't know. I don't care. Just go do it. I mean, that, that was a struggle. That wasn't a laughing matter. It, there were some times when he got really frustrated with me as a teen with that. So I'm looking at this and I've got, I just, so I just gave the assessment to all my kids. He's the first one that took it, Tom. And I'm looking at that and going, my gosh, I, I, my first thought was, I want to apologize again go, buddy, I'm so sorry that that's your language. That's what you speak. That's what you relate to. I didn't give you that. And that's okay. It doesn't make me a bad person, but it's, uh, a relevant reality to look at and go, gosh, no wonder I, I will try to, I'm so glad you have your mother who gave you that. And you have some other people, cause I'm probably never going to be a shining star. I do want to help you better. And same thing. If I'm in a work environment with a team, those are, that's something I need to do some, I need to have some ability to encourage and, and help people with tasks, not a primary role. And I'd probably be best to have a partner or somebody part of the team who does a better job of that. But that got me into that Tom, with seeing his, uh, and I can go through some more of it, but just that and wondering, my gosh, this is a relational tool to understand the people that I get. I mean, how often do we say that at the, you know, the, the, at the employee water cooler chat type thing dude, I don't get Bob. I don't get Lori. I don't get, the, I just don't get them. Well, th- there's probably a good reason why, how great to do this assessment. Cause I bet they don't get you either. You think? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, you can really, when, when you see, when you, and of course I grew up going to events, right? So seminars and, you know, one day, two day things, and you can really see a well run organization by who's in the slots, 
right? And so the events that don't feel right, it's because the people are operating outside of their natural strength, right? Their natural, this is what I love to do. Um, in fact, we, we're having our Born to Win event that's coming up this weekend and next weekend. And we were we went through the whole schedule and who's going to do what. And gosh, we, we've got some people in the room who are just uh, galvanizers off the charts, encouragers, you know, enablement off the charts. And, you know, they're perfect from the front of the room uh, to get the, to, to set the tone, to set the mood, to get people excited. And they're a great, per- they're great for me to play off of. Right. Because I can come in with the, you know, the deeper, the, it's not the, the content's very energizing and everything else, but the way I present it is more, you know, you need to think about this and what does this mean to you and what happens if that happens? And that's really good to have in an event. But if the event is only that, it can get, it can get a little slow. If it's only the, the super energized, then it doesn't feel deep enough, right? So this is more proof that in a team and in a family, the more different types of people we have, the more blessed we are. It takes a little bit more work, but the more we, the more impact we can have and the more we can support each other when the trials come, because they always do. So I, I got a story that I'll, I'll pull into this and I, I, I can't out of, out of respect and uh, not slandering somebody, I can't use the name, but I, I worked as a consultant with a company, uh, a large cycling manufacturer years ago is after I quit being uh, quit, quit racing as an elite athlete uh, cyclist and worked with this company. And the guy who founded it was an incredible inventor uh, of, of cycling, um, parts and uh incredible guy created stuff he got irritated that some competing companies with what he believed and i actually do too were had inferior products were beating him out in the marketplace due to marketing is how he kind of cashed it right due to marketing made him uh more than just angry it was a bitterness in the pit of his heart from that he developed a very sour taste about marketing. That's kind of a hard thing to have as the owner of a company that has to rely on marketing and sales. And I actually came in to consult and help with marketing. And uh, it, it, it was difficult because there's this pit of him that didn't even like that knows he needs it, but didn't really like the marketing. That's a bad recipe. And it reminds me again to be this assessment this working genius assessment from Patrick reminds me again of the danger of who we tend to relate to. And if we're looking at, I'd say business, but even a family, if you're trying to coordinate a vacation or whatever, or or do something as a group, the danger of not including those that you don't connect with, that you don't get right off the bat. So I I'm thinking about tenacity, finishing a product, a project, I'm, I, I don't enjoy that. You and I both talked about that. It's both in our working uh, frustration. Tonight, we're not finishers. So you and I together as partners have a gigantic deficit. And it, it's, a, it's funny, Tom. It's the same thing with Randy, Dr. Randy James. So he and I are business partners. Same thing. He's not a finisher. And our, it doesn't have tenacity. He's not a finisher. Uh, and we tend to not attract those people. We don't get them. And yet realizing, oh my gosh, I need them. If I'm going to have a cohesive, fully functioning team, it has to include somebody. I need to find somebody who has tenacity in their working genius, which right now I don't even know who that is. I I need to do, I need everybody do this assessment to figure out who I'm going to work with, but I need that person and I am not going to get them in essence. I am not going to naturally connect with them but I am a hundred percent reliant on them because if there, if I don't have somebody with tenacity on my team, I'm never going to produce a podcast because I'm not the guy who hits publish and produces this podcast. There's podcasts. There's, there's a, a team of people that are involved. I, my book will never see a shelf 
without that. And so it's brought me back to that of going, oh my gosh, man, that's not who I naturally align with. And I'm hurting myself by not intentionally aligning. Yeah. You know, that marketing illustration you gave, I've always pondered this in our industry. So let's talk about the self-help industry, uh, personal development, success, that, that there's, there's people in the industry who are fantastic at marketing, just unbelievable, but their stuff is average, right? It's like when you go their content, their stuff, it's just average. And then there are people who have world-class content. I mean, it's like innovative and timely and, and, but they struggle to fill a room because their marketing isn't that good. So what is that? What, what, what is that? And then, and then you get probably the number one brand in the world, which is Apple. And they got both. I mean, they got the most unbelievable marketing and image and culture and you know, branding. And they've got you know, products that, you know, if even if you're PC loyal, uh, you got to admit, if, you know, for what they do, man, it's pretty unbelievable. Yeah. how simple it is and how much it does. And so maybe they, maybe they, they had a secret, one of these assessments back in the founding of their company and they figured it out, but isn't that true? It yeah. takes, it yeah. takes, and, but it, and, and this is the challenge. Okay. Because uh, if you're a leader in, a, in an organization, you know, one of these um, areas is going to be your genius. And, and so, so maybe the question of whether your organization really goes to where it could or not is your uh, humility and respect for others who have different geniuses to give them the ball, let them shine where they are. Yeah, I heard a comment over the weekend, and that was is that people are happy to uh, for you to shine just as long as you they don't outshine you. Hmm. And isn't you know, and I think that's probably more true than we want it to be. Right? It's because think about all the people who are really excelling in an area. They're super creative, or man, they're just a pit bull t- tenacious getting things done. And then people kind of make snide remarks about it. Right? When it should be celebrated. Yeah. Tommy, you bring up something that my first realization was in my really early twenties, probably around when I turned pro as a cyclist and we would, um, I was living in Fort Collins, Colorado and have these huge group rides. We had pro teams that would join and whatnot. And I remember seeing, especially young, younger uh, kids like juniors, which was under 18. And we'd see people and, and saw, I, I just started to recognize some of the most amazing athletes I'd ever seen and to realize there's an aspect of that guy who's just, it's just beyond me. It's good. But what we realized, I remember this with a couple of friends. We realized at the time, as we saw a lot of them never make it, they weren't winning and saw us winning sometimes, you know, past these people that we realize, man, they've got more than us. They've got more talent or more insight or more strength or more whatever. And, and I realized at the time of, man, I don't think the best athlete is who wins. The, I mean, the best at the core, the most brilliant one, the best athletes we're never going to see because they, they can't deliver. Come back to Seth Godin. And that was his, was it linchpin that he talked about that? His book, uh, I don't remember what it was, but one of his books, or maybe it's a, a thread is, is somewhere along those lines. I mean, you can have great art in you. He would use that art. You could say skill, ability, whatever. And yet the best may not be what we end up having the opportunity to buy because it never comes to market because they can't deliver. And and I thought about this when you talked about content, I mean, the books behind me, if I take a book on a certain subject, is it on my shelf? Is it a bestseller? Because it's the absolute best content. I really don't believe so, Tom. I remember years ago when I used to go to, when my dad started first publishing, Dan Miller started publishing his first books, which was 48 days of the work you love. And I got to go to the booksellers conventions. And so you go in there, you know, you're supposed to be part of the book industry. So I get to go in there with him, come out with stacks of books, 
literally uh, baskets or, or, or uh, bags of books. And I'd bring them home. And most of them, I don't know these people. And I'd put them on a bookshelf. And then randomly, I'd see something on the shelf. I kind of had my own library and pick it off. And I'd read it and go, oh my gosh. I had some of the most, I think, God-inspired books that moved me. And yet I realized this book's not going to sell. It's going to sell 2,000 copies and the person's going to be on it. What a shame because the book cover stinks. The title's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, but the content was brilliant. And so when we look at that, the best athlete, the best artist, the best book writer, the best, you know, whatever we may never see if they can't bring it to market. And it makes me think of that. They, they've got to have a team. You cannot be everything. You can't take these. Nobody's taken this test. Well, Patrick doesn't even allow you to have everything in your working genius or even in your working competency. He's saying, no, two of these are going to be in your working genius. Two of them, you might be competent. Two of them, you're going to stink and don't like. And if that's the case, then whatever you do by proxy, if you're going to have, if you're going to bring it to market in a good way and and really do well with it, you've got to have these there. This wasn't my perspective, Tom, in coming even into business or athletics. That's one of my primary regrets of life is as an athlete, I was not coachable. I was so arrogant, so prideful, and I was good enough that I did just enough to keep me on that bubble and not seek help. And it was a lot of wasted opportunity. And I've done that in business as well by not having a good team around me. So that's what makes this concept so acute to me. It's good stuff. It is good stuff. Well, grateful to Patrick Lencioni for bringing it. And and folks, again, you can get this workinggenius.com. It's only 25 bucks. And uh, I hope we've rounded out some of the concepts around it, some of the opportunities around it. Uh, and uh, But Tom, it does show me why we connect. So <laughs> I don't mind that. We just need other teammates, but we can hang out. That's what, that's what brought us together is over the fire pit and uh, wandering about uh, things and inventing new opportunities. Thank you, brother. That's right. And, and you know, it's funny because when we start to record, if you don't hit record, I'll remind you <laughs> because we're looking out for each other. Yeah. Yeah. Thank That's you. not how we're wired. That's a little detail. Thank you. I'm grateful. <laughs> I remember to record this one. Thank you. Well, I am really pressing this issue. I, I'm having my family do the assessment and anyone I'm working close with. I'm so inspired to have people working more and more in their working genius to know it and try to craft their work to where they are engaged in those roles and activities. And when they're not, to help bolster bolster themselves. Because sometimes, you know, we do need to work outside of that, but to be aware of it, you know, it's going to take some toll on us and we can kind of budget that. Again, you can get Patrick Lencioni's book, The Six Types of Working Genius Anywhere. And you can take the assessment right this minute. It's a quick one. I don't know, 10, 15 minutes at workinggenius.com. It's only 25 bucks. Thank you as always for choosing to tune in to this self-helpful podcast. I really hope you got value. I hope you talk about what you heard here with someone else so you both benefit. And most of all, I hope I've helped you help yourself so that you can help others. 